that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? I want to begin with a question, and the question is this. What do all religious people have in common? What do all religious people have in com common? You know, no matter what your faith is, be it Baptist, Catholic, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Church of Christ, Church of God, I mean, just take your pick. What do all religious people have in common? Answer to the question is, they all believe they are right. That's what we all have in common. And you know, I used to think that we were the only ones that believed we were right. And I found out, no, no, no matter what your faith is, no matter what your denomination is, all religious people believe they are right. Now, with this program, I'm going to tell you how to be a spiritually retarded Christian. Yes, immature, incomplete, spiritually retarded. Okay? Now, here's, here's how you do that. Just assume that you have arrived. Just assume that your church has all the answers. You know, just assume that, hey, I have found my church home. I need not look any further. And that is how you can be spiritually retarded for the rest of your life. Now, there's something to finding God, understanding God, seeking God. There's something to that we have to do in order to find God's truth. In other words, it doesn't, God just doesn't pour it out on us. I mean, we have to be willing to seek. We have to be willing to search. We have to be willing to look. I mean, we have to go at this full steam ahead and not just assume that just because you show up to church that you have arrived, you have found your church home, you have found all the answers. Now, let's take a look at how Jesus says we are to pursue Truth, how we are to pursue God. Let's take a look at it. Luke 11 and verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now, he gives us a little story, and we're supposed to grasp and understand, okay, what can we get from this story about our spiritual growth? Well, here comes a guy, and he goes to a friend's house, and he knocks on the door real hard. He says, Friend, let me in. I need some bread. And he beats on the door again, let me in, you know. And notice the response here in verse 7. The friend says, look, trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. In other words, go away. It's midnight. I'm trying to get some sleep. I can only imagine what would happen if someone would show up at my house at midnight beating on the door. I don't care if it would. If it, if it was a friend, you know, I would tell him, go away, don't come back. Maybe get the shotgun out, whatever. But notice the response here in verse 8. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is, a his, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. 
Now, the thing about this little story that's unique is that this person was not ashamed just to keep on asking, just to keep on beating on the door and saying, hey man, let me in, I need some bread. Children, as children, we understand this, that how children sometimes will not take no for an answer. You see, now this is how we are to be when it comes to our spiritual growth, when it comes to understanding what God's will is, when it comes to understanding what God's truth is. We are to grab hold and not take no for an answer. And you see, what I believe is this, I think a lot of religious people are ashamed to ask. They're ashamed to ask questions. Why? Well, because it may, look, may make me look dumb if I ask another person a question. If I order their material, if I study someone else's material that believes a little bit different than I do. If I ask questions. Yeah, oh yeah, religious people are too full of pride to ask questions. Well, not so in this story. This guy, you know, this friend, he just swallowed his pride and came knocking on the door at midnight and saying, give me what I want. I need some bread, man, and opened the door. And because of his unwillingness to take no for an answer, the friend got up and gave him what he wanted. Now, again, there is this illusion, you know, well, I have found the right church, and now I'm going to just relax and I'm going to bask in God's truth. I know I'm right. Listen, if that's your attitude, all you're going to do is rot and vegetate. If that's your attitude, you will be spiritually retarded if that is your attitude. Now, I think a lot of, person, a lot of people are looking for the perfect church. They're looking for a perfect representation of God's church, his true church on this earth. A lot of people, you know, we call them searchers. They can never find what they're looking for. And, uh, but a lot of people are looking for that perfect representation. And in their mind, they say, well, now, when I find that perfect church, I will know I have arrived. Okay? And it's disheartening because they never seem to find it. They go from church to church to church. And they never seem to find that perfect church, that perfect representation of God's church that they think should be on this earth. You know, and you know, searching for the truth. Now, and then let me tell you something. The moment you show up to church, it ceases to be a perfect church. Why? Because you're in it. Because you're not perfect. And you just showed up and walked to the door. The moment that I show up to church, it ceases to be a perfect church. Because we are, we're not perfect. You get my point? Now, let me show you where the perfect church exists, okay? Actually, it's a description of it in the Bible, the perfect church. Let's take a look at it in Hebrews 12 and verse 22. It says, but you are coming to the Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Notice verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now there's your perfect church, okay? Well, where might that perfect church be? Well, now notice, it, it, it takes three things to have this perfect church. First of all, it talks about the church of the firstborn. That means born of God by a resurrection. 
That's talking about, when it talks about the church of the firstborn, it's talking about when Christ returns and our vile physical bodies are changed from flesh, what they are now, to spirit, what God's body is composed of, spirit. And so when that happens, you got the church of the firstborn, born of God by resurrection. Some people refer to it as born again, but you know, born of God by resurrection. Okay, that's the first thing you got to have. Second thing is their names were written in heaven. In other words, that tells me that they were called of God, that God had a purpose, a plan for them during this life, that he is calling an elect, he is calling a first fruit. So their names were written in heaven. And the third thing is the spirits of just men made perfect. In other words, their spirit has been made perfect. That's the third thing you got to have. So three things. Now, what I'm saying is, this church is not going to exist until the resurrection and the kingdom of God is established on this earth. Then and only then will you have a perfect representation of God's church on this earth. Then and only then. So let's not misunderstand that. Uh, in the meantime, what we got is we just have to sort of tolerate each other and there is no perfect representation of God's church on this earth right now. No, you may think you are, but you're, you're not it, believe me. Okay, now, a lot of people are looking for a church, I believe, that can multitask. You know, I want a church that's good at everything. And so if I've got this marital problem, I want a church that can help me solve this marital problem. And if I've got this addiction to cigarettes or porn or whatever it may be, uh, alcohol. I want a church that's good at helping me overcome that and can give me instructions on how to overcome that. And if I am struggling with my finances, I want a church that can teach me how to solve all of my financial problems. In other words, they want a church, a multitasking church, a church that's good at everything. Now, some of you are deceived in believing that you're good at multitasking. I used to think I was good at it. I, I would start 10 projects at one time because I'd get bored with one very quickly. And so for that reason, I'd start 10 projects all at the same time and I'd go from that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, back, back, back and forth, you know. But let me tell you what the definition of multitasking is. Multitasking means that you can do a lot of things poorly. That's what multitasking is. It means that you can do a lot of things very poorly. You know, so your church can only do about one thing very well. And that's why it's so critical that you figure out what your church is good at. In other words, how does it fit the bigger picture? How does it minister to other people? What's the one thing that your church is very good at? And then go out and do it. And quit trying to multitask. And quit trying to do all of these things you know, that you think people need or want or whatever it may be, because, you know, you can only do about one or two things very well, you know. That's true. You know, I can play the guitar poorly. Why? Because it's not a priority. I take it off the wall and run through a few riffs and then put it back up, and I, it's not a priority in my life, and so I play it poorly. Okay. All right. Now, the way I look at churches and ministries is I look at them as stepping stones on the way to something greater. No one church has all the, all the answers. You understand that, don't you? No one church has all the answers to all of your problems. No one church can offer all the solutions to your problem. Now, 
what's confusing, the reason we get confused in this area is because we think all God is up to, he just wants to save some souls. You know, he just wants to get people saved. And, uh, yes, yeah, salvation is a part of the role of the church, but that's not the only thing. You know, I mean, I've met people that uh, I didn't even like hanging around with because they're li- who claimed to be saved because their lives were a miserable wreck. Oh, yeah, they claimed they were saved, but, you know, it was like, well, evidently God forgot to save, forgot to save you from your addiction. And I, say, I, I hear you. You're telling me you're saved, but your marriage is a wreck. Two of you can't stand each other, but you're saved? Hmm, strange, very strange. Or I'm saved and you're, you're in a financial shambles. You can't even manage your money, but I'm saved. You know, or you know, I'm saved and you got dysfunctional parental skills. You know, your children, you can't even, t- can't even take them out to a restaurant, okay? Because they'll climb the walls and swing on the chandeliers, you know. You just can't do that. Well, okay, don't we understand that God wants a complete transformation and overhaul of you. You know, it's not just getting your rear end saved that God wants. Uh, it's, he wants to transform the whole entire you to make a new creature in Christ. Don't we, don't we understand that? Now, <clears throat> so it, it's important to understand here that you're not just going to find all the answers to your problems from one church. All right, Jesus said this. He said this, and I say, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given to you, and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Seek and you shall, excuse me, seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And again, this, this concept of asking and seeking and looking and searching. And again, I think a lot of religious people are too full of pride to ask questions because that will make me look like I don't know what I'm talking about if I ask questions. You got to get over that. You got to seek. You got to look. You got to search. Now, again, if you want to be spiritually retarded, just assume your church has all the answers. That's how you just assume that you have arrived. I found a church home and I don't need to look any further. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, let's continue on. Matthew 7 and verse 14. Jesus said, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life and few there be that find it. Jesus didn't say, look, when you find the right church, it becomes a cakewalk. He didn't say that. He said straight, narrow, rocky, roughy, or rough, excuse me, rough is the way and few there be that find it. No, it's not a cakewalk. You need to seek, you need to search, you need to look. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have your, your, your faith, your particular church that you go to, or your particular denomination that you go to. I'm just saying that they don't have all the answers, is, is the point I'm trying to make. You see, the reason you think your church has all the answers is because you've stopped growing. You know, you're rotting on the vine is the reason you think your church has all the answers. Because you have stopped growing. That's the reason. Now, you know, as far as the church I belong to, I belong to the church that Jesus started 2,000 years ago with his disciples. And I personally have learned so much from so many different ministries, churches, you know. And what I often see is that we, 
We often are very quick to demonize others so that we can discredit everything they say. And this is not a good thing. In other words, just because you disagree with one area of another church doesn't mean you can't learn something from them. And this happens to me all the time. Let me just give you an example here. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, okay? You probably figured that one out a long time ago. But, but um, in their teaching about the kingdom of God on this earth, that Christ is going to return and set up his kingdom on this earth, I think they're right on, line, on the mark with that teaching. But there's other areas that I disagree with. But often what we do is, because, you know, we, we don't get along and we're not open-minded, often what we do is we will start demonizing someone else in order to discredit everything they say. And we should never discredit everything that someone says. I mean, there, there's bits and pieces of truth, I think, in all religions, in all churches. And so in my personal life, I, I am not afraid to learn from others that may teach doctrines that are different than what I believe. I'm not, I don't fear them. Now, as a babe in Christ, I think it's important to stay, you know, not to be exposed to a lot of variety of opinions as a babe in Christ. But look, if you're 40, if you've been in a church for 40 years, you should not be afraid to examine other people's teachings and to be willing to learn from them. All right. Now, I don't expect you to agree with everything that I say. You know, again, don't believe me. Believe your Bible. But if you demonize me and discredit everything that I say, or if you demonize someone else, another church, another religion, whatever, and discredit everything they say, then you will be spiritually retarded as a Christian. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, if you're a religious person, I want to ask you a question, another question. Have you reached the maturity level where you have owned your faith? In other words, have you reached a maturity level where, you, where you've said, this is what I believe. And the reason I believe it is because it's right here in this book, the Bible. Have you reached the maturity level where you, have, you can own your faith? Now, a lot of people have not. I've met I guess hundreds, thousands of religious, religious people who have never reached that point where they have owned their faith. In other words, this is what I believe. It's not what my denomination teaches. It's not what my church, it's not what that minister over there tells me. It's what I believe. And that's what I mean by, have you come to that point, a maturity level where you own your faith? Let me illustrate this with something that happened to the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 12. He said, now this I say then, every one of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. It goes on, he says, in verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Oh, I love that statement, you know. This, this, in other words, this favorite preacher that you have, this favorite, you know, individual that you're idolizing, like an, you've set this person as an idol in your life. Was he crucified for you? Well, no, of course not. And you see, the danger is putting people on a pedestal and worshiping them. Basically, what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, wake up, brain-dead people. 
was the minister that you're idolizing crucified for you? That's what he's saying. Okay. And I, I've always been amazed. You know, I, I used to, like, well, let me back up here. I've always been amazed at almost like the rock star status that a preacher can get. I mean, whether it's, um, you know, a Billy Graham, a, a Joel Olstein, a Billy Sunday, a Benny Hinn, or the Pope. You know, I've always been amazed at the sort of like what I call the rock star status because I used to go to concerts when I was a teenager. I went to a lot of, well, I thought they were good concerts, but I, I always was amazed at how the people just like with drool running out of their mouths would just look at the band and just idolize them. And I always thought, well, that's because they're young and stupid, you know, and they just haven't matured any yet. And yet, and here I am. 50 years old, and I still see people in churches doing the same thing, idolizing the man, the minister, the preacher. It's a shame to see that for any preacher to gain what I call rock star status. Now, a long time ago, I was, uh, well, several years ago, that's not, that's not a long time ago, but a couple of years ago, I was working with a person in Kenya, Africa, and uh, I asked him, I said, how did you find out about the Sabbath and the holy days? You know what his answer was? His answer was, the obvious. His answer was, the Bible. <laughs> well, what else did I expect? How did you find out about this truth? The Bible. I love that answer. I love that. I mean, that's just, it was such a beautiful, refreshing answer. Because most people, when you ask them, well, how did you find out? They'll start listing a man, a church, or some spiritual guru that they found out about this truth from. This man, he just said, when I asked him, how do you find out about this? The Bible. Yeah. Listen, when you stand before Jesus Christ, he's going to ask you, how do you find out about me? And let me tell you all the wrong answers. The wrong answers is Baptist. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, I'm a Church of Christ. That, wrong answer. You better be able to say, I found out you from the Bible. Now, I don't know what your faith is or what denomination or what organization you belong to. And you can just fill in the blank with whoever you are idolizing, your spiritual icon that you worship and idolize. But one day, you're going to stand before God. And he's going to ask you, how did you find out about me? And there's only one right answer. Only one right answer. And that's why I say it's so critical for you to own your faith. This is why I believe what I believe, because it's in the Bible and God says so. You see, the reason some of you have never made a disciple for Jesus Christ is because you never own your faith. The reason some of you seem sort of shallow when it comes to your religion is because you've never owned your faith. The reason some people look at you and think that you're sort of insincere when it comes to religion. You talk about it, but you're just not sincere. It's because you have never owned your faith. The reason you've never made an impact on other people is because you've never owned your faith. This is what I believe. Listen, I don't care who taught it to you. Who taught you is not important. 
the vessel, the instrument, is not important. Who taught you the truth? You've got to be able to own your faith and say, this is what I believe. You understand what I'm saying? And, and you see, the reason Paul was so upset with these people who said, I am a Paul, I am a you know, Cephas and Apollos, is because he was dealing with a bunch of brain-dead people who had never gotten around to owning their faith. You know, I can tell when a person has owned their faith because they speak with conviction. When you ask them about their religion, they take you back to the Bible. They don't mention denominations and church groups and organizations and spiritual icons that they have set up on a pedestal. They don't even mention any human being. They just go back. You know, real people who have owned their faith go back to the Word of God and they say, this is why I believe what I believe. And you know what? You are not even a real Christian until you own your faith. Bottom line is this. This book right here. This right here is why I believe what I believe. It's called the Word of God. Own it. It's your faith and that's what's really in your Bible well in seminary school a man or woman is taught a theology about the Bible it's a, a set of beliefs that the student assumes is right we never ask the question what if there is some error in the things I've been taught about God and the real problem is, these errors are passed on to the congregation as absolute truth. I uh, think somewhere down the road with our walk with God, we must ask ourselves the question, is my faith the religion of the Bible? What I believe, the things that I am doing, the traditions that I'm following, do they match the life of Jesus Christ and his disciples? In other words, does my religion match the faith of the early New Testament church and what Jesus Christ did and what Christ tells us to do? If it doesn't match, something's wrong. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount. 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program.